this is Daryl. If you like US men's national team chat, then today's allocation disorder is for you. On today's episode, Sam Steshko and Paul Tenorio talk through the entire US men's national team depth chart and try to pick their strongest starting 11. This is a companion piece of sorts to Paul Tenorio's recent story for The Athletic titled Greg Berhalter takes stock of the US men's pool position by position, which is, of course, based on an interview with Greg Berhalter himself. Before you listen to that Sam and Paul conversation, I want to let you know that on Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event. Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures. And it's first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Quick side note here, long-time Total Sock Show listeners will know that I'm currently enrolled in a clinical trial for cancer treatment, and that clinical trial is the reason I'm here right now and able to record this intro. So it's fair to say that I think clinical trials are pretty important. So here's what the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society would like you to do. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join LLS for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with their heart-pumping playlist. Join LLS on June 13th from coast to coast as they come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. That's lls.org slash bigclimb. Link will be in the show notes. Welcome back to another edition of Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going tonight? It's going well. Thanks, Sam. Uh, you're welcome, Paul. Paul, you uh, you had an interesting conversation today, from what I hear, with uh, one U.S. men's national team coach, Craig Berhalter. You guys talked about a number of different topics, and we're going to get into that in a minute. You're going to explain exactly what that conversation is about. But first, I want to do a quick update as things stand here on Thursday evening with MLS and its Orlando plan. I know we've talked a lot about this over the last two weeks. Don't worry. We're not going to spend much time on it tonight. I just wanted to kind of give my own personal take on where things stand based on my conversations that I've had with people across the league. It sounds like this thing is going to happen. It's just kind of a question of of how and how long they're going to be down there. Um, But I think we'll probably have a resolution within the next week or so. Um, maybe even on the on the short side of that. So I just wanted to provide that little update there. I don't know if you want to add anything there, Paul, but I'll toss it to you in case you do. Yeah, I think the same that that I'm hearing. Um, it seems like talks are are certainly heating up. That there's a little bit more urgency to come to some kind of a conclusion about um, you know what exactly to do. Uh, and and yeah i think I think everyone wants a resolution of some kind a, a decision one way or the other, so uh, I know it'd be I interesting to see <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sick of talking about this so much anyway um you spoke with Greg earlier earlier this afternoon um obviously the national team's not quite playing any games right now, but you guys talked about a number of different things so so lay out your conversation and then we'll get into a, a deeper discussion about the u s national team and where things stand. Yeah, so I thought, you know, with Bundesliga back, with the Premier League now setting a date of when they wanted to come back, and 
Um, you know, we're talking about Major League Soccer trying to come back, NWSL is coming back. It seems like sports are starting up again. And so I wanted to catch up with Greg Berhalter about, um, you know, how he's thinking about the national team coming back, the challenges um, coming back, and really to kind of catch up and say, okay, let's let's get a good reminder of where the pool stands, the kind of the depth chart of the national team pool. Um, you know, especially because when games do resume, we're very close to World Cup qualifiers starting. I mean, they were supposed to be starting this fall. We don't Wait, know. September, October? Yeah, exactly. September yeah. September and October windows were supposed to be the first two windows of World Cup qualifying. And, um, you know, whether that stays the same, probably not. It'll probably have to get pushed back. But, um, you know, I, I thought it would be good to, to get Greg to kind of run down um, his thoughts on the pool. Just, you know, as a kind of a, Caveat, caveat for those of you who are going to read the story, um, you know, he didn't want to go name by name, you know, actually go through the depth chart, understandably so, in case he forgot a player or didn't include a player. And, and he, you know, he, he wants every player to feel, um, you know, he that, didn't want that, you to kill him they're being watched. And I get that. I mean, there's no way <laughs> that, by the way, that, that conversation would have lasted a lot longer with me than he wanted if he had to go player by player through the, uh, Probably that you chart. wanted too, given the transcription that would have been required there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I tried to break it down by section. I included some of the names that I thought about in the in the position pool, um, and and you know, we kind of kept our thoughts uh, or kept the conversation to be a little bit more big picture. Though he does go into some detail on some players, so a lot of interesting stuff. I thought, um, you know, about the way they want to play. Um, and and you know my interpretation based on that conversation of of who that might you know who that might indicate is is maybe in Greg's mind as best eleven, though again I didn't ask him that and I didn't tell him my opinion on who his best eleven is so maybe he'll be listening to this pod and and uh, he'll hear for the first <laughs> time what I think uh, his best eleven is based on our conversation today. There you go, and you know if if he takes it and it works, then you can take all the credit in the world, right, Paul? So of course. Um, so your story is going to be coming out on Friday. It should be out by the time that this podcast is published or around the same time, um, maybe at the earliest. Um, so you can, you can read along and listen along and, and we'll kind of discuss it as we go here. Full disclosure, I got an advanced copy so I could uh, prep a little bit for this show. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me was that he really kind of drilled down on a formation that he wants to play. Um, which is a four three three, and that kind of informs the discussion that we're going to have, where we're going to kind of go through that depth chart and and talk a little bit about what we would like to see personally. So, um, what did he uh, what did he tell you about the formation, Paul? Yeah, I think you know he settled on that four three three that they played uh, late last year into January camp, and obviously, um, I think we all know now that formations aren't these strict and and kind of organized things that they that we think of them or we talk about them as i mean this 4-3-3 is a 4-3-3 when the u.s is attacking um you know as as greg pointed out in our Maybe. conversation might might be uh, might be like a like a two five three depending on how you think about it right sure <laughs> so, sure but you know the or, idea or is two, three, five, four, three, three. yeah when they yeah. defend it it becomes distinctly a four four two um, you know, Christian Pulisic usually steps into the forward line to defend with uh, whoever is the, the starting striker and the other winger drops into the midfield line and it becomes a 4-4-2 defensively. So that, that's what I mean with that kind of flexibility. You know, he also mentioned that they always want to have 
some tenets of play where they can they can easily transition to a a th- uh, three or five man backline, um, you know, and and some variation whether that's a a three four two one um, or um, another variation off of that. You know, he said he always wants to have the ability to do that if necessary. But it seems like he settled on this four three three for kind of how they're going to um, to approach most most games and most scenarios. And I think that does start to give us a really good idea of what he's looking for positionally because I think it does a couple things. From an attacking standpoint, I think it is going to put more emphasis on the wingers. And he says as much um, on that forward line. Um, and, and I think it really changes the dynamics of the central midfield, which to me is maybe the most important or more most interesting aspect of this national team pool in the breadth of players that exist in that position, if not depth. Um, a, a lot of players there, a lot of different qualities in each of the players. The level of play is, is a little bit inconsistent in each of the players. Um, but I think the possibilities of how this team is going to play change based on what three players are in that central midfield. So um, that was kind of my mindset once I, once we had discussed formation and, and started to go in. And I think, you know, we could go position by position through this. Um, that might be the, the easiest way to do it. Let's but, do it. Um, you know, Sam, I, I don't know if there was a, if there was another aspect of this that stood out before we started to go position by position, I guess I should probably mention, you know, Berhalter feels like there, he doesn't really have an idea of what it's going to look like coming back from international play. There are some dominoes that still need to fall before we get an idea of when World Cup qualifying will start, how many windows the U.S. will get ahead of World Cup qualifying. Clearly, he's hopeful to get some time with this team before you go into those critical games. Right. Um, but, you know, that's not guaranteed. Um, CONCACAF seems to want to play their Nations League semifinals and final. The U.S. is obviously in that. Um, that would be a helpful competitive environment to be in ahead of World Cup qualifiers, uh, but there's still a lot TBD there, and um, and who knows what the format will even look like for qualifiers? Will it be a hex? Will it be something else? Right. I think you know we don't really know. We've we've heard out of Concacaf. Um, you know, it seems that they they want to get, in my opinion, at least, it seems like they want to give Canada every chance to get into the hex. Um, probably understandably so. Obviously, it's a yeah. They have Canadian the, they have the quality now. to be. They have the quality to be there too. If we're being honest, compared of to course. some of the other teams, you know, right so. now they're behind El Salvador, and I, I don't think anyone would argue that Canada is a better team. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, but I should I should mention that he he did say that, and um, and you know, other than that, I think it's 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 we're easy to jump in, and, and maybe Sam, I'll let you. Uh, I you know I wrote this and I had the conversation, but I wonder if there were things that struck you in each position group. We can maybe start from there and, and build off. Yeah, and we can go in as we talk about each position. Well, I mean, I think we can start with goalkeeper. Pretty easy place to start and a pretty easy conversation to have. Uh, Zach Steffen, at least if he's healthy and he is he is dealing with an MCL injury currently, um, is the number one. And Brad Guzan sounds pretty firmly in, ensconced as the number two. Um, behind him and if he's if Stefan is not healthy I think it'll it'll probably be Guzan uh, that's that's starting and I think that's you know Bill Hamid will have some complaints about that I'm sure but um, I think that's relatively reasonable um, and pretty straightforward any anything to add really there Paul no I, I mean I do think there's a little bit of news there and that he is you know I, I think he did 
certainly voice a confidence in Brad Guzan. I think part of it is is Guzan's you know veteran leadership for a very young team. Um, right. And and you know there are some other goalkeepers, quality goalkeepers there that have been in the mix consistently with the national team. Sean Johnson, you know, you mentioned Hamid, Ethan Horvath. Um, are all all players who have been involved some younger goalkeepers have come into camp i think they're a little further behind in the pecking order um but yeah it, it does seem like um you know burhalter feels most comfortable probably going to guzan if, if stefan's not available um but I, I will say you know he he did make clear that stefan is is a player he really wants to have on the field if he's healthy and and that they're going to try to do everything they can to make sure he can get healthy and get fit and get on the field so not that they have that much control um, when Stefan's with his club. I believe he's back in Manchester now um, trying to get fit. So, um, you know, pretty pretty straightforward, as you said. Yep. Um, another one that's, I think, you know, you can argue about depth and, and maybe it, it depends on what kind of formation you're playing. But um, we can go into center backs. Um, and the top two, at least in Greg's mind, seem pretty straightforward once again. Yeah, I don't think, I think for anyone, um, you know, Greg... Greg mentioned, obviously, John Brooks, uh, left-footed starting center back for Wolfsburg, has played well since the Bundesliga has come back, and Aaron Long, a player that has come along um, significantly in, in Burhalter's system, which is much different than what he plays with the Red Bulls. Um, you know, he's asked to be on the ball and to to play out of the back far, 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 far more than he ever has been in New York, but he's adjusted really well. So I think those two... Um, you know, Greg didn't have to say as much, but you know, the way he spoke about them, you kind of, we all kind of understand that they seem to be the top behind those two center backs. It's really interesting because we didn't go into much detail about where guys stand in the pecking order. Um, but the, the names he brought up are, are just an interesting mix. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention one that, um, that he did, he did praise. And I think is an indication of kind of some of the things that Greg Berhalter values. And, and that was Tim Ream. Um, you know, he, he feels like Tim Ream has played consistently at a high level for um, several years in England. He's been with Fulham, playing in a system where they, they do ask the back line to play out of the back a lot. Um, and he likes, you know, his veteran presence in a very young group. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Tim Ream involved in the camps going forward. There's also a bit of versatility there, right? He can play left back in a pinch. We're going right. to get to that position um, in a second. But you know, that, and the U.S. national team is always in a pinch at left back. <laughs> right, right. So I, I think that's one of the interesting names. Um, the, the one I'll throw out, the ones I'll throw out there that um, you know that obviously everyone else is going to think about and talk about: Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Matt Miazga. And as you get you know get a little further down the depth chart, there are some young players that are interesting. And you know, maybe the most interesting one is Chris Richards, who you know has yet to make his debut for Bayern Munich. Has been playing well in the reserves. Very, very highly thought of. Uh, at Byron, I, I went there um, when I did the Jesse Marsh story and spoke with them about Chris Richards. They 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 think he has a, a future at Bayern Munich, which is saying something pretty substantial. Um, but you know he he's a he's a ways off probably from you know kind of factoring with the senior team consistently. Yeah, maybe it's a potential for a loan there. Maybe he sticks around and, and tries to earn some time. Maybe Byron clinched the title early this year, and he's able to get a debut in, in you know kind of lower pressure circumstances. Now that they're ahead of Dortmund by, I believe, seven points in the Bundesliga, so a lot of different possibilities there. Um, I thought the Reem conversation was interesting. Burhalter, kind of in his quotes, was was talking about how he feels that, that Tim Reem's a little bit underappreciated by the fan base. Um, you know, I think he's a solid option. You know, you talked about that flexibility earlier, Paul, and 
the the formational flexibility that kind of he offers. If you want to switch to a three man, if you want to stick him out, out on the left, you can do it a variety of different things. Um, so I think you you said you wouldn't be surprised if he was included in camps going forward. I would be surprised if he was not included in camps going forward for a variety of different reasons. Anyway, moving on. I think uh, we jumped to right back and then natural transition into left back or you just want to take them on as one uh, no the two fullback spots i think you have to I, I wrote them as one because you can't discuss one without the other and sam you and i earlier today when we were discussing this this podcast episode kind of gotten into a debate a little bit um about the fullback position and, and it was just a debate of like what is the best case scenario because there there isn't a clear one here um i think there's you know maybe the strongest amount of depth at right back weirdly for the national team. Um, if you look at, there are four players at that position that I think you could be comfortable starting in a game and feel like, okay, you know, we're okay over there. Um, you've got right. Reggie Cannon, who's been up and coming with FC Dallas. And I think really claimed that spot playing, um, you know, playing under yeah, Berhalter Cup, last right? year. Yeah. Uh, very, very well in the Gold Cup. He adds a, a verticality to the position that, that Berhalter really likes. Um, you know, remember initially he started with Tyler Adams coming in, tucking in midfield. Um, you know, that was kind of the, the idea behind that position. But um, I think he was really pleased with how it worked when, when he, um, you know, kind of incorporated more of the verticality that we saw in the fullback position in Columbus in Greg Berhalter's system. So you've got Reggie Cannon there. Obviously, Serginio Dest is natural right back. He plays there often for Ajax, um, can also play on the left side. Uh, then you've got a, a, a Premier League veteran in DeAndre Yedlin, who is you know probably third in the pecking order right now at Newcastle, um, but has experience on the international stage. And, and again, Tyler Adams can play there. So uh, four players at that position, and yeah. there's really no one clear at the left back side, and, and thus the conundrum. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to let you know today's show is sponsored by Podium Wear. Podium Wear is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that's turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs in a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. In normal times, we talk about how great this process is and how your experience ordering for your or your kids' club team will be made infinitely easier by Podium Wear. But these aren't normal times. Because of the COVID-19 crisis, Podium Wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about on the sideline of a soccer match or even during your workouts. You can buy one for yourself or customise masks for a team. Worth remembering, Podium Wear is family-owned, friendly, and super easy to work with. Their facilities are all based in the U.S., so by supporting them, you'll be supporting American manufacturing jobs. They'll also work with you to create your designs for soccer kits or for face masks. So go to PodiumWear.com and get your custom mask today, and bookmark PodiumWear.com while you're there for when you're ready to order your next soccer kit. That's PodiumWear.com. Check them out today. All right, back to your intrepid allocation disorder duo talking about fullbacks. Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem, and and you kind of wish there was a little bit more of uh, more balance. But this isn't a club team, so you can't make those choices. You're kind of stuck with what you got. Got to roll with it, right? Um, I don't really know what you do at left back, Paul. I really don't. I think you could do something. You know, if you wanted to stick Reem out there and have whoever's at right back, whether it be Dest or cannon or yedlin i don't think it'll be adams right i think he'll be in the midfield but um and and have them kind of really get forward and then have reem kind of stay home a little bit more and, and you're playing kind of a pseudo three-man back line at times 
Um, I think that could be interesting for sure. Um, you know, and then whoever's playing on the right wing, maybe pinch in a little bit. Maybe that's Gio Reyna, right? And, and, and seed the wide part of the field to whoever the right back is. Um, I think that could be an option. Um, I think, you know, you could also, I think maybe if you, if you wanted to go a little more aggressive on, on both fullback spots, I feel like Dest is kind of the guy at left back, even though he's not really a left back. Um, he is capable of playing there. The other options are just like, I mean, I'm left scratching my head. Like, I know, you know, I know Anthony Robinson had a move to AC Milan fall through because you know of a heart condition that he has and that seems to be stable and it and isn't really that uncommon it's not unheard of i guess i should say for players um but that came out of nowhere and he looked i mean i haven't seen him play much I'll, full disclosure i'm not watching much wigan on the weekends i'm just not um but in his limited appearances with the national team he's looked quite bad <laughs> um so i'm not sold there um, you know, Daniel Lovitz has gotten a run out. I think, I think we're pretty, all, all pretty familiar. Those of us that watch MLS with, with what he's able to do. Um, and he's probably not at the level that you really want for the national team. And, and beyond that, it's kind of Reem or one of, you know, or, or maybe Dest, who's a natural right back. And I don't really know. I don't love any of those options if I'm being totally honest with you, Paul, but I might go with Dest and, and then maybe Cannon or Yedlin at right back. Yeah, I think to me, you get into this area where you start to make decisions based on, sometimes based on opponent. You know, yeah, sometimes you feel matchup, like, right. okay, we'll play a more defensive left back. We we feel we're going to have more of the ball. We'll, we're comfortable going with more of a kind of pseudo three-man back line like you mentioned. Um, you know, maybe the, the, there's a game where they really want a high press and take it to the opponents and they want athleticism out on the the fullback and they want guys who can get up uh, up and down those uh up and down the line right um and that in that case i think dest and, and cannon probably that cuts make, both ways though right because when you're playing yeah, sure. against a when you're playing against a good opponent who you're not going to be able to do that against necessarily and you're going to be on the back foot against a little bit more chances are they're going to have a right winger that you're going to need to worry about and can tim ream keep up with him from a pace perspective if he's right. out there on an island at left back right so cuts both ways yeah and i think you know anthony robinson's probably one of the most interesting u.s national team prospects in some time um it kills know. me that you said that as a sentence it, and like, it's I can't true though disagree it's, with he's, you. he's interesting yeah. because <laughs> he has been simply put he's been really bad with the national team he's really struggled on that stage he's played some good players Paul, yes. i think and, and like to be fair he was playing against colombia and brazil he also slouches, struggled right? struggled significantly against jamaica as did the rest of the team ahead of that gold cup the, okay? the colombia and brazil games that he played were two of the worst matches that i can remember from a national team player and yeah, maybe i'm being bad. too harsh there but no, it, was, it, was, it was that bad but what's interesting is when i talk to people um, familiar with the championship when I when the AC Milan stuff was happening I started to make some calls just to see kind of where was this coming from and you know what I heard back was he was really considered to be the best attacking left back in the championship and you know AC Milan probably was was leaning a little bit on analytics and looking for a cheap option that was going to come in and be a backup left back and they found a player who it wasn't who that popped. cheap though, wasn't it? Ten million? Yeah, I mean for AC Milan, it's not too bad. I mean, you're taking a young it's, player, it's really young player. He's got back, a, you yeah. know, he's coming out of England. Um, you you anticipate that the upside. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, when you see players who st- statistically stand out well above anyone else, the way people were describing Robinson's reputation in the championship, it it, it might have seemed like a like an easy move to make. Now, 
you know, maybe he's just more comfortable at the club level. Maybe he just had a couple bad games. I mean, he was early on. Maybe he wasn't playing against Brazil and Colombia, and he was going up against, you know, uh, Fulham or, yeah. or uh, you know, Darby yeah, and stuff. QPR, right. <laughs> like, I mean, so all of these yeah. things factor in. Um, he's a player, obviously, that you have to keep an eye on, right? He's a naturally left-footed player who with attacking qualities, and if he can improve technically – if he's going to be better on the ball, if he's going to be better under pressure, um, better defensively one on one, and and let's be let's be real here, um, we we talk about the struggles against Colombia and Brazil. You know, you need players who are going to be able to to compete at those levels and and to hold yeah, their own. If you want to if you want to um, do anything beyond what you've already done in a World Cup, that's the level you need to be competing at. So so it's not we're, we're not holding him to a different standard. I don't think. I just think he's so interesting because he's another example, kind of like a Timmy Chandler, who 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 has a very strong reputation with his club, but it seemed to Timmy Chandler struggled with the national team or certainly wasn't able to replicate that form. Early days for Anthony Robinson, but he he's yeah. he's he definitely he could throw this whole thing for a loop if he if he starts to translate that club form into national team form. He, he becomes an answer at left back, right? And then that, yeah, that lot, changes the dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Um, which I think brings us to the most interesting spot on the field in terms of this discussion, uh, which is central midfield. And if you're playing a three-man, then I think you have two pretty obvious candidates um, that you can probably write in, one in pen and one, you know, lightly in pen in Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. Um, and then you have a third and what do you do with that? And what position is that guy even playing? Is that a six? Is that more of an attacking option? Um, with Adams as a six, what does it look like? What did, uh, tell us what Greg said about that one, Paul. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I will say he did, he did say, you know, look, we know we can play differently based on what players are in there. We understand that these players all have different qualities. And so, um, you know, I thought there were two interesting quotes, you know, one where he kind of went, well, I, I didn't quote him directly, but he, he kind of described some of the players who, what their skill sets provide. So if you want more attacking oriented players, you know, guys like Sebastian Legette and Christian Pulisic in the central role, they give you that. If you want guys who can cover ground, Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams certainly can do that. You want players who can, you know, find you know kind of get in the hole and, and pick up the ball and, and and play out of there um you know christian Rodon is, is probably the guy who wants to play in the pocket you know so there are all these different qualities within this group um but when he talked about what he's looking for you know he wants a dynamic three in midfield who can cover ground who can press who are aggressive um who can provide cover for a, a an attacking trio ahead of them um you know, to, to be more aggressive, to get in behind the line. And, and maybe that opens up things behind them. But if you have guys who can cover ground, that's what he's looking for. And so, um, you know, as he kind of hinted to me, you can start imagining guys who can cover ground to win balls and arrive in the penalty box as decent for that profile. Well, for me, you know, I'll interpret uh, Greg Berhalter and I'll say, I, I see it as being a, a Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Jackson, Yule midfield with Yule playing at the six. There's another quote in here. Um, where Greg talks about that number six position. He mentions Michael Bradley, um, and he mentions Jackson Ewell. Um, a slight a slight nod to Will Trapp, but his focus was kind of on Michael and Jackson. And, um, you know, I think I think he wants that type of player um, at the number six who, who 
you know, is, is more going to be getting on the ball, looking to play long diagonals, looking to break lines. And that frees up Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams ahead of him to, um, to cover a lot of ground in, in kind of a more uh, aggressive pressing fashion that, that plays to their strength, strengths, frankly. Yeah. And, and I think everything that you said there makes sense. However, I just don't, maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon, but I don't, love the idea of Jackson Ewell in my starting national team midfield. Um, you know, I don't love the idea of Michael Bradley there in 2022 when he's going to be what at that point, 35 or so. Um, you know, I think he could do that for the most part. Now, I think a lot of people listening will disagree with that opinion. Um, but to me, the one guy in there that doesn't really get a lot of, a lot of pub or a lot of love that I think is a pretty solid player. And you mentioned him is Sebastian Lachette. And I don't know. I, I feel like he could do that role, that long diagonal role. And I think he could bring you a little bit more going forward. And I think he's a little bit cleaner on the ball. Um, and I think he's a little bit more, um, you know, he's, he's looking to go forward a little bit more in possession than those other guys are. Uh, I think he's a little bit more athletic than they are. Um, and I think he's a smart player too. So I don't think he would be, you know, lost playing a little deeper than he does at the club level for the, for the galaxy. Um, and I think you could still have that same sort of dynamic where McKenney and Adams are, are a little bit free. And I think you could kind of rotate him a little bit with Adams in that midfield three or McKenney for that matter. Um, but, but probably more Adams and, and let him have some room to go forward when you're on the ball. Um, and I kind of think that's where the game is headed. You know, you kind of mentioned verticality earlier. And, and when I think of this four, three, three, it seems like that's what Greg is going for, right? You have a real option at right back, probably that's going to be bombing forward. Maybe you have one at left back that's going to be going forward. If if you play Dest out there, you certainly do with the two wingers, um, and then you know a striker in Josie who's more than capable of leading the line, and and two really hyper athletic midfielders in Adams and McKenney who who can fly around all over the place. Sometimes to their detriment, I think in the, in the case of McKenney, who I think doesn't have the greatest awareness and can get lost out there on the field sometimes, uh, positionally. Um, but hopefully that he can learn, uh, rein himself in a little bit with time as he gets older and matures. Um, but I, I don't know, like, do, do you think my legit take is crazy there? I think, I think he would, he would still allow you to be vertical. I think he gives you a little bit more class on the ball and, and I think he, I think he does enough. You don't have like that prototypical long diagonal. I know that's, that's Greg's thing from that number six. Um, but I think he's capable of all that stuff. Am, am I crazy there, Paul? No, I think Sebastian Legette, what I like about him is he's a guy who has constantly proved himself within camps, inside of the camps. Um, similar to Paul Ariola in that way. Um, he comes in. But a much different no, player. No one's talk, much different, but in the sense that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about them. Um, sometimes even the coaches aren't planning on them to be somebody that they're that's factoring in and then they come in and they do their job and they do it really well and guess who ends up being on the field in these important moments and that was true of Sebastian Legette in World Cup qualifying um, before he suffered a, a terrible injury again unfortunately for him that set him back and I think it's been true early in Greg Berhalter's tenure as well where he's come in and impressed and, and been a factor and I think you know what is the x factor with this midfield to me in the long term, less in the short term, I think there's a, a level of trust that's there between Burhalter and Yule and Burhalter and Bradley. Um, and even obviously Burhalter and Trapp, though I think he's fallen behind those two on the depth chart, um, is Tyler Adams. And I believe Tyler Adams has only played two games for Greg Burhalter in his tenure. 
And that's significant. And I think as Tyler Adams... He was injured for most of, correct. Most of last year. And, and I think... Not most of last year, but a lot of last year. I think as he integrates into the national team picture, picture in a more permanent fashion, and I do think he's the future captain of the national team, I think that he will, with his abilities, eventually claim that number six job. I just... That's what I think is going to happen. Me, like I think it's important to not even get so hung up on number six. Number yeah, eight, whatever you 10. want to call it. Like, I think he becomes the, like those the, three. I think could be very fluid. Sure, in terms I, of how they play on the field. But I think if he if he can show, you know, I think again going back to the quote that Burhalter talks about the number six, the things he's looking for out of that role. There are some aspects of that role that are very important that are distinct from the other two central midfield positions, and I think. Tyler Adams is capable of doing those things. He's just going to need some time to show that. I, that's what I think. Now, whether or not that that holds true, whether Tyler's best fit for that, suited for that role or not, you know, maybe it is better to have Tyler higher up the field, pushing and pressing, um, recovering the ball and getting forward quickly as he does in the Red Bull system and does very well. I don't know. But I think that's kind of an X factor when we talk about the central midfield. I mean, shoot, we don't even know for sure if Tyler Adams is going to step right into the starting lineup for Greg Berhalter. Maybe it is Weston McKinney and Sebastian Legette and Jackson Yule to start off. And If, if and, Weston McKinney is playing in that situation over Tyler Adams, I will lose my mind. <laughs> There's so many aspects of national team games over which you lose your mind on a consistent basis. It's one of my favorite I things need to, about you. I need to chill out, I think. I don't I'm Don't ever chill out. It's so, such an important part of your personality. <laughs> Paul, on chill. a text thread that we have today with some of our coworkers, Paul... Paul wrote in all caps, I am Sam Stasekel angry right now about something that was going on. He wrote it facetiously, but that's kind of the dynamic that, we, that we're talking about here. And I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. You can Look, keep going. I, I, I mean, I don't think Tyler Adams is not going to be in the starting midfield. My point is just that he's had, a, he's had very little time with this group. Sure. I have also just said that I believe he's going to be the captain of the national team. He's very close with Christian Pulisic. He's very close with Weston McKinney. He's got a really infectious, uh, mature, you know, leadership personality. Let's be real. He's very competitive. He's got all those things that when you're around somebody like that, you kind of recognize it in them right away. And as an 18-year-old, when I first started to interview him, you, you, it's just very noticeable off the, off the bat. And um, he's a leader of men. Yeah, he's just going to be he's just going to be an important part of the team. So, again, we're we're talking about this. And I just think that those those three are what I believe the midfield is going to look like now early on in World Cup qualifying. Maybe it is Michael Bradley. Right. Maybe it is Michael Bradley in those games. Uh, to add a veteran presence, to add a knowledge of what it's going to be like. Especially if you're on the road. Maybe it's against Mexico, Michael Bradley's in the game, right, at, Azte- at Azteca. And maybe if you're playing, you know, Panama at home or Honduras at home, it's Jackson Ewell starting and you're giving him the kind of introduction to the World Cup qualifying pressures. Um, but I think that – I think – What's most interesting about this section and about this part of the conversation with Greg Berhalter is the idea of wanting that that middle three to be dynamic, to be players who can cover ground, who can press, um, because I think it sets up the way this team is going to play. And I think it sets up the next part of the conversation, which is where the goals are going to come from. And 
there's, For sure. there's a there's a, a relationship here between the number nine spot, which we'll get to last, and the the winger position. Yeah, no doubt. And before we get onto the winger position, which we will in, in one second here, um, I just wanted to mention that that last thing that you mentioned, right? Um, kind of playing aggressively, a little more direct, maybe um, really athletic and vertical in the midfield. That to me is such a breath of fresh air because we've, we've talked a lot and we've heard a lot about playing out of the back and being a little bit deliberate in the buildup and, and trying to do all these patterns and things like that um, when you're on the ball. Um, and to me, the strengths of this, of this U S national team is in its athleticism and it's in its ability to go vertical. That's where the personnel are strongest. Um, and I thought that they didn't really play to those strengths last year. Um, I was very critical of that in the moment. Um, when I look back on that criticism, um, you know, I think maybe I was a little bit too harsh and this is something Greg gets at in the article, Paul, um, but a lot of those games were friendlies and they're sort of training exercises and the time to experiment on things is, is then, um, even not in friendlies, but in a gold cup before world cup qualifying even. Um, so, you know, that hopefully will benefit the national team down the road. Um, so maybe I was a little bit harsh in that, but that being said, I am, um, I think it is encouraging that, that they're kind of maybe pivoting is the wrong word, but, but recognizing and emphasizing what the strengths in my opinion of this team are and playing into them because I don't think they did that over the, over basically the 2019 calendar year. Yeah. Well, With I, that, let me just, before we jump yeah, yeah, past respond. that, I, I think there's Please. a couple things. I think, you know, in this story, I include a quote from Tata Martino that, that to me, when I read it in Felipe Cardenas article, I felt like it was very similar to what I had been hearing from Burhalter over the, the previous year covering this team. Yeah, yeah. Um, in talking about with a national team, you don't have the time that you do with the club team where you're training every day and you're trying things in training and you're working on them in training. And you get such little time in camps that you have to try them during games. And your goal is to minimize the number of mistakes that happen, but sometimes mistakes are going to happen. And if they happen against good opponents, typically you get punished. For Mexico, it's happened a lot less frequently, right? They only have one loss under Tata Martino. And that's why there's a lot less criticism of him that with the U S there have been some, and he some, probably didn't stray as far from his team's strengths as Greg sure. did. But I right? think, to, you know, you know, for me and, and hopefully none of our competitors are listening to this podcast. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, I think of when I think of stories to write about the national team, I think, it, I think at some point it'll be worth, going back and looking at that second Canada game and really both Canada games, um, the way that they oh, lost man. that first game and um, the way that they approached the second game. It's probably a good thing. We didn't have a podcast back then, by the way. Yeah. And I think, but I think those games, those were competitive games. Those weren't friendlies, um, which, which by the way, that impacted the way you wrote about them and spoke about them. And I think that's worth mm-hmm. pointing out, but I think the way that they performed in that second game you know, Greg Berhalter's system, it's not as though there wasn't an aggressive nature to the way Greg Berhalter likes to play. When you look at his teams in Columbus, it's, uh, it, you know, the the difference is if you look at who was playing in in certain positions, right? There 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 was a Federico Higuain in the number 10 in Columbus. There's not one of those in the national team pool for the U.S., right? There, you know, when you look at his fullbacks, those, those fullbacks and that were such an important part of those Columbus crew teams and how they got forward and mm-hmm. played aggressively. Artur is the type of number eight he likes that presses and runs and recovers and gets forward quickly. Um, you know, and Will Trap, that number six, that that's never really changed. The wingers, always about getting in behind the line with those slashing runs. Ethan Finley had a career year playing in that system. Justin Merrim had a career year playing in that Same system. Thing, yeah. 
Um, we're seeing the national team, I think, go back to some of the tenets of that Greg Berhalter system and away from maybe some of um, the early concepts of, of, of player rotation and, um, and you know, the early emphasis that we saw on playing out of the back, that doesn't mean those, those ideas are gone. It just means that I think that you're, you're emphasizing, um, we're prioritizing other aspects of the system ahead of that, um, or making it a bigger he, he part of the identity. He was and, going through his experimental. Phase, sure. But I think you know, he got, he got college, to that, right. That he, sort of thing. I think those <laughs> games are where he got there. And I think it, you know, I, it'll be interesting, you know, I think it'd be an interesting idea to, to not just go back and look at those games, um, but maybe to compare and contrast it with kind of um, what the what the Burr Halter teams looked like in Columbus, what they looked like at the beginning of his national team tenure, um, and and what they looked like after that yeah. Canada game. Because I think sounds like you got a lot of games to watch, Paul. Well, I watched a lot of them already, but yeah, I'll, I'll go back and watch. We'll have a we'll have a movie <laughs> night, Sam. Okay, um, and I don't want to get too bogged down on this, but you know, it's easy to say now after you beat Canada in the game that you had to beat Canada in to say, yeah, you know, we were trying some stuff out and it all worked out and everything's cool. Those games did mean something, and the U.S. was pathetic in Toronto, and I just, I just, I just needed to say that I, I can't give them a pass there. Not that I, I'm thinking you were doing that, but I just wanted to make it abundantly clear. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Hawthorne. Hawthorne offers men's personal care products like cologne, body wash, shampoo, deodorant, soap. You know the kind of thing. It's the stuff that makes you look good, feel good, and most importantly, smell good. Because Hawthorne products smell great. And if you're someone who has trouble choosing their cologne or their shampoo or their body wash, Hawthorne has a quiz that will help you. You go to the Hawthorne website, Hawthorne with an E, dot co, Hawthorne.co, and you take a quick two-minute quiz that will ask you about your skin type, your hair type, uh, what type of smells you like, the type of environment you work in, what you're looking for from your products, and then Hawthorne, based on your quiz results, will give you recommendations. And then you can click the ones you want to try, and you can get them risk-free, because shipping is free and returns are free. So if you don't like what you get for some reason, you can send it back. But based on my experience, I don't think you'll be sending it back. It's also worth noting that Father's Day is coming up. You are welcome for the reminder. And if you're looking for a Father's Day gift, then you can go to hawthorne.co and you can take the quiz for someone else. Then you'll get recommendations. And for example, Hawthorne will recommend a couple of colognes that might be perfect Father's Day gifts. Again, you're welcome. You can check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, C-O, not .com, C-O-M. Hawthorne.co and use the promo code T-S-S to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and promo code T-S-S to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co, the link and the promo code will be in the show notes. All right, let's get back to Paul and Sam. Anyway, on to wingers. Uh, we were supposed to get there, what, like seven minutes ago now? Um, let's talk about wingers. Paul talked to me about wingers, what Greg said about them. I, th- I think it's pretty straightforward, but maybe some people disagree. Well, I think the the opening line of my story in this section is basically you can thank Borussia Dortmund if you're the national team, right? Because I think mm-hmm. the, the winger position is pretty settled, frankly. Uh, maybe not right off the jump. I think Gio Reyna might get, you know, 
worked into this squad. He's super young um, and very, very raw, raw in the sense of his, um, I shouldn't say raw. He's very inexperienced. Um, he's just playing his first, first team foot soccer. Um, and Jordan Morris had a very, very good 2019. So I think there's, there's some value there and having Giorena, you know, win the job. But I think realistically, we we look at this position and we say it's it's Christian Pulisic on the left, it's Gio Reyna on the right, and that's the future of this team for some time. Um, and then and then behind them is everyone else, and and I think that's what we're going to see in the next few months. Right. So I and, and I want to talk about what you said about the left and the right, because um, that sort of goes back into what we were what we were speaking about earlier with the fullbacks. And so if you put Pulisic on the left and you stick Tim Ream behind him and you kind of say, all right, Christian, don't worry so much about the defensive responsibilities. Tim isn't going to be going crazy. You can stay wide. You can pop in. You can do whatever. We'll shade a little left with the midfield because our fullback's not going to be pressing quite as high. On the right, whether it's Cannon, whether it's Yedlin, whether it's somebody else, they'll try and get up into the attack. They'll allow Reyna to come a little central. Um, He's got those kind of natural second forward tendencies anyway. Um, he can play there. He has played there. He can even play as a nine um, if you really want him to. So he he can pinch in a little bit on the right-hand side, right fullback and go up, um, you know, supplement a little of that left-shading midfield perhaps. Um, so I think all those pieces fit together pretty well if you were to line it up like that. Um, so I think that could be interesting. Um, and I think you're right. You know, <laughs> I wrote a big story on G Arena a few weeks ago. And, you know, the kid's playing for one of the best teams in the world already and he doesn't have many minutes no um but he has looked decent in in the ones that he has played um and he's clearly a big part of of Dortmund's plans um not just going forward but right now um he's a big part of that team um and that's more than that's a lot more than most American players can say um and and though he's only 17 and though he's pretty inexperienced still I think it's fair to, to kind of pencil him in straight into the 11 honestly um, if, if I'm Greg Berhalter. So I think that's pretty straightforward. And, you know, Jordan Morris is a good option behind those two, um, I think is, is a pretty solid place to be. Yeah, I, I think Greg said something interesting. We were talking about younger players. I asked him, you know, does does coming out of coronavirus hurt some young players with their opportunities to get called into camps, especially if you basically if the if you run out of camps um, before the big games? And he said, yeah, I mean, it could, you know, just the number of opportunities there are going to be more limited, but, you know, not for a player like Gio Reyna, who's playing for one of the best teams in the world. You know, that's a guy who's going to be coming in and playing in World Cup qualifiers. Uh, you know, whether or not they're, uh, you know, would you like to to get his first international game, senior games and friendlies? Yes. But if you can't, he's still a guy that has to be there. I mean, and he he played he played in Dortmund against Bayern on Tuesday for what twenty minutes. I think he should be able to handle the pressure of USA, Costa Rica, and Nations League, right? Sure, and I think also you know let's also remember um, we don't have to look that far back and see how quickly Christian Pulisic integrated into the team, right. became a, a key player, and 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 pretty much the centerpiece of the team. You you can go further back than that if you'd like to for more examples, but. You know, Landon Donovan and DeMarcus Beasley, Bruce Arena gave them, didn't give them anything, but he put them in the starting lineup at a World Cup or put them on the field if, uh, if you're DeMarcus Beasley at a World Cup and gave them these huge roles and responsibilities on a massive stage. And, and sometimes that's the best way is to just throw the throw the player right in, um, put him in the deep end. And, and 
I think Gio Reyna is going to be more than capable of showing that he can he can swim. So, um, you know, I I think it's pretty clear that those are are the two guys. Like you said, Jordan Morris is somebody who is actually a fantastic player to be bringing off the bench uh, in the second half with his pace. Um, he's shown that when he comes off the bench, he can really impact the game. And um, and and you know, there's a whole other group behind there. I think of some. You know, Yulianez looks like he's close to making his Bundesliga debut. He showed well in January camp. Um, Paul Ariola is coming off an ACL, so not quite sure what his role will be. Tyler Boyd started strong with the national team, kind of faded. Um, he's playing in Turkey now. You know, what, what role he'll play, we'll see. But, you know, his strength is those runs in behind the back line. Can he be a guy who gives you a really good 5-10 minutes? You know, do we see some of these younger players come through? Um that you know, Berhalter's kind of used Jonathan Lewis in that role as as a super sub. Um, there's some interesting, interesting is a strong as a you know. Are we really talking about Jonathan Lewis as a national yeah, well, team player I mean, when he know. doesn't start for the Colorado Rapids? He's are, are we really doing Does this? Does he not start for the Rapids? It, it, no. I just think that I think that <laughs> that we know basically with the winger position, there's two really really good players that you hope don't come off the field. Pretty much. I mean, I just think that those are guys yeah. <laughs> that, that you're count not not because you don't trust the guys behind them, but because th- these are the guys because that can they be your should two be two best, best players, right? Yeah. And and yeah. this is the way Greg Berhalter put it. He said they want these wingers to be threats. They need to be scoring goals, making assists, running in behind the back line. That's the profile. Um, these guys are going to have to produce, and and Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna have the the opportunity and the ability to be difference makers and so you're going to want them there you know as often as possible and it actually you know i I, maybe i'll add this into the story since it's thursday night and it hasn't published yet i wonder if it changes (laughs) the way greg burhalter thinks about jordan morris is he a guy who could factor in at the number nine spot which is where we're going to go next which is which you know lacks some depth he Um, doesn't play there for his club anymore so that'll that would imagine be a factor in that you know Morris has been on the left wing for the Sounders now for a bit. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the number nine, which uh, is probably up there with left back and maybe maybe not quite as uh, not quite as much to spare at striker, but there's not a lot of bodies up there, man. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about decisions that Greg Berhalter has to make, and, and for me, there's not really a tough one here. I think there's Josie Altidore, and then there's everyone else. Um you know, we know Greg Berhalter trusts and likes Jossie Zardes. Um, he continued that idea in this conversation. Like he thinks Zardes scores goals in in moments where he's asked him to. He works hard. Um, he's he's well respected in the group. He feels like there's always going to be a place for players like that. Um, he also says, you know, things kind of start with Josie, and he sets the tone for what the position could look like. Is is the way he described Josie Altidore with his ability to combine, to drop drop into the midfield, to pick up the ball, which we started to see Craig Berhalter's number nine do more, especially in January camp. Um, so I think Altidore's the guy. Josh Sargent, young. Um, he's playing for, for Werder Bremen now, a really bad team in the Bundesliga. Greg Berhalter does express in this in this story some frustration um, at at what that system and that team is is, is doing in terms of Josh Sargent's development. Um but I don't think he's shown enough either on the international stage or at the club stage to overtake either of those two players in front of him, um, to be frank. And though I, I, I also, you know, I think if you if you think big picture, you probably play Josh Sargent in front of Zardes um, for the sake of, of kind of the, the future of the national team. 
Um, but right now, when you get to World Cup qualifying, it's not about the future. You know, it's about the now. Um, and and beyond those three, <laughs> yeah, you can't afford can't afford to drop points. We learned that. No, uh, last you know, time, and be, beyond those three, I, I, it gets a lot tougher. I, you know, I just Greg Berhalter mentioned mentioned Jesus Ferreira, but I think he sees him in kind of a guy who can play the nine if you're playing with a true kind of false nine, however you want to define that role. Um, he can play as the number ten. He's an intriguing player. Um, but he's not going to be a starting number nine for a national team. I don't think that's that's the spot where he ends up. And um, and for now, I mean, I, I think Josie Altidore is is the answer at the nine. Yeah, as long as he's healthy, I think he's by far the clear cut starter. I don't think there's really any debate there. Um, I don't have a ton to add. I think you covered covered that position pretty comprehensively, Paul. So kudos to you on that one. Um, you don't want to talk. Kind of, I, what I know you don't want to talk about the guys. You don't want to go down to the Olympic guys. I know you get really excited when we talk oh, about the Olympic God. teams. Sam. I just I can't, man. Some of these guys, like I'm not trying to. I, no, I don't want to go into that negative headspace. I'm trying to be positive. You know, there's enough. There's enough going on in the world right now, man. <laughs> I just wanted. I just wanted. I don't to try need to. to give, I don't need to get fired up about Mason Toy. I don't. <laughs> I wanted to give the 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 loyal listeners of Allocation Disorder just a chance to get a glimpse of Sam State's go mad. Uh, it's not going to happen <sighs> in this episode. It seems like, but don't um, worry. You know, you I stick just, around I long just enough. Finished a mez call. I'm lying down on a couch. It's just. It's what time is it? It's 10:30 p.m. I just. I'm not. I just don't have that energy right now. I apologize. You know this is unlike me but um you know catch me next week i'll, I'll bring some heat <laughs> what's going on that? with mls reporters and mezcal you're on the matt doyle train basically is what's happening am i i mean i don't know it's a good it's a good spirit raises my spirits i don't know um yeah, my wife it, does. Really it puts you in a positive a po- uh, now i know if i want you yeah, in a man, positive headspace like i'm, I'm just beach. gonna buy you a mezcal <laughs> all right there you go Everyone can just feel free to send me some, and, and we I'll move along with my life positively. <laughs> um, any uh, any kind of overall takeaways, Paul, from either from your conversation or, or from our discussion that you wanted to get off your chest? No, I think um, you know for me the takeaway from the conversation is that there's not that much different about this pool than than we thought. You know, really at the beginning of last year. I mean, other than Gio Reyna emerging, there's not a lot of surprises here. The names that we're talking Dest, about are, are Dest. the and Dest. I'm sorry, maybe I should say midway through 2019, right? I think Reggie Reggie Cannon. I think that you know we we've seen Cannon emerge in the Gold Cup. Once Dest made his decision to play for the U.S., we knew he was going to factor in. Gio Reyna, there was a lot of hope. The questions about how far he, you know, how fast, yeah, he would come how along. fast he would go, yeah. Um, but you know, this is this is the pool. I don't think there are a ton of surprises out there. Um, I mentioned one name of of a player that that Berhalter is looking at um, that was first reported by Doug McIntyre. You know, there are some guys out there, of course, and there will be players that emerge over the course of this cycle. But going into qualifying, you know, what we've got is what we've got. And, um, you know, I'll be interested to see if, um, you know, if this 4-3-3 with the combination of uh, of players that we talked about works. And, I, you know, I guess we kind of run over that real quick. My mind, it's going to be, Zach Steffen in goal, Dest at left back, John Brooks and uh, Aaron Long at center back, Reggie Cannon at right back, Yule, Adams, McKenney in central midfield, Pulisic, Altador, and Gio Reyna on the front three. You know, is that the 11 that um, 
that that pushes the the U.S. into the 2022 World Cup? Um, I think right now the answer is yes, and and you know the hope yes. is that some players emerge, some young players emerge behind yeah. to add some Still depth. Two and a half years until kickoff in Qatar, at a minimum. Who knows? That might change, right? With all of this, so um, I don't think it will, but I guess there's a possibility. So I think that eleven makes sense from uh, from a standpoint of what Greg is going to do. Is that the one that you would run with, Paul? Yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. I know you'd you'd probably make a swap in central midfield, right? Yeah, I think I'd I think I'd bring in Lejet or, or Bradley maybe. Um, and I just want to say, kind of, the key for me is something that I mentioned already is is playing to your strengths, which I think is is verticality. The U.S. has some some pretty damn good athletes when you think about Gio Reyna and Adams and McKenney and Yedlin and or Cannon or Dest or whoever you you have some guys that can really get up and down really cover a lot of ground um, and I think you should try and play into those strengths as best as you can and I thought they got away from that quite a lot um, over 2019 and uh, it's it's positive to me that Greg seems to be kind of recognizing that a little bit more maybe with a little bit more urgency here in 2020 um, so I think that's good um, and then the other part is is just individual development and that's not something that's on any national team head coach or staff member that's on the player and their club um, because a lot of these guys are very young and they might be playing decently well now um, but that doesn't mean that they don't still have a lot of room to grow and that doesn't mean that this might not be the peak right you know, you mentioned Azteca like, you know, earlier and I, I for some reason I, I thought back to Kellen Acosta, who played in Azteca in the last World Cup qualifying cycle at I believe twenty one and went, I think he went the full ninety and played a pretty good game in a one one draw. And, you know, now he's pretty far away from that picture and he's had a few tough years um on an individual level. So just because a player is is performing decently well now doesn't mean uh, that they're going to stay at that level or that they're going to improve. Um, and so those are kind of the two big things to me. That latter one might be a little bit obvious, but you know, I think it's important to kind of couch any U.S. national team discussion in that because those discussions can often uh, run off the rails a little bit with excitement and hype. So I'll, I'll pour your cold water on it. There you go. How about that? Is that better, Paul? I love it. Way better than the Mezcal. Cold water over Mezcal anytime. <laughs> Well, that's a weird take. I don't know about that one. But um, I think with that, I think we can sign off. Unless there's anything else you got? You good? Anything else? I'm good, man. I'm good. No Orlando talk this time. Barely any. So I'm good. We got a minute in there at the front end. You know, we we can't leave out your hometown from a full episode. Um, But anyway, until next time, uh, this has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks so much for listening. I am Sam Stasekel. He is Paul Tenorio. Signing off. 